You're listening to Rethinking It, conversations about changing our minds. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Stephanie Kerlick, a mindset and self-care coach reminding you to be kind to yourself and to take up space in your own life. Rethinking It is all about change. Through intimate chats between just you and me, as well as honest and thought-provoking conversations with some of my favorite people, we'll explore how our behaviors and beliefs have changed over time. And as we're looking back at the moments and experiences of our lives, we'll also forgive ourselves for not knowing more or doing better. Here's the thing, we're usually just doing the very best that we can in any given moment, and everything changes, including us. Even in the moments when it seems impossible or we think we have it all figured out, We can change our thoughts, our actions, our choices, and our inner dialogue. But sometimes we need someone else to remind us that we can. This podcast is your reminder that you can continue to grow and learn and rethink it all. Hi, Courtney. Welcome to Rethinking It. I'm so excited about our conversation. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, I um, really became connected with you when you had your uh, Lyme Awareness Month campaign. Um, That's when I don't remember if I got connected through someone else on Instagram, um, but immediately I just really felt connected both in in how you share your experience, but also your journey with chronic illness. So I'm really excited to dive into all of that today. Oh, well, thank you. Um, could you start by just giving us a little idea of sort of how, what your experience has been with chronic Lyme disease? Yeah, absolutely. So my journey with Lyme actually started about five years ago um, in the summer of 2014. I was biking from Austin, Texas to Anchorage, Alaska, raising wow. money for cancer research. Yeah, I had just lost my dad to cancer. And this was my way of, you know, continuing his fight and, and supporting him. And I felt very, very connected to it. And I was on this, in this organization called Texas 4000 that did this bike ride. And I was a ride director. So I was the lead of our group. And we went through um, from Austin through the Rocky Mountains up to Anchorage. And um, such a great experience. And one of the uh, last days of our ride, I think it was four days before we got to Anchorage, we were staying in a campsite. It was an abandoned campsite. We didn't know until we got there that it was just completely overgrown. We don't have anywhere else to stay. We'll just camp here anyway. Um, And I woke up the next morning with a bite on my hand that was swelling. And I, I didn't feel great, but I was just more like, what is this bite? I should probably watch it. And I thought it was a spider bite. Um, and my biggest worry was it was a poison spider bite. So over the next 24 hours, I can continue to watch and it continued to grow into this bullseye looking rash on my hands. And I started to not feel well, flu-like symptoms. And we're in the middle of nowhere, Canada. And we realized, like, okay, I need to go to a doctor to figure out what's going on. So we had to drive about 100 miles to find the nearest doctor in this town of maybe a hundred people. So we go in and I tell, I show the doctor my hand. I'm like, I think I've maybe got a poison spider bite. And he was 
essentially just like, yeah, 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 probably a spider bite. Here's a steroid and sent me on my way. Um, I took the steroid. The bite eventually did go down and I didn't think about it again for years. Um, so I finished this ride, graduated college, started my career, you know, first full-time job. And about six months after that ride, I started having these, you know, random symptoms of just being like really fatigued all the time and having memory issues. And all of a sudden my joints kind of hurt. I was like, is this adulthood is like? Like, what's going on with me? Um, and then I would, you know, I'd go to the doctor and be like, yeah, I'm having these issues. And they would just like, oh, your vitamin D is low. Your vitamin D is low. So I'd take vitamin D and, you know, no, nothing would happen. And then I started having really bad numbness and tingling in my hands and feet. Um, and that was so just brushed off by doctors. So I spent about four years just dealing with symptoms and being told that it wasn't a big deal um, or, you know, it, it, nothing was going on and just continued to have struggles to the point where I was starting to lose my ability to read. I was having major memory issues, um, you know, anxiety and depression started to come on, which was never something that I had struggled with in the past. And like just waking up in the morning was extremely painful just to open my eyes felt like I was climbing a mountain. So um, I finally found a doctor in Houston in November of 2017 that asked me, have you been like, when did this start? And have you been in the wilderness at all? And I was like, well, actually I had, I biked from Alaska, from Austin to Alaska. And that's kind of when this started happening. And so she told me she thought I had Lyme disease or a tick-borne illness. And she tested me. And from this point, you know, it had been four years of me just being told nothing was wrong. So I had the expectation of just like, it's just another doctor who's going to say, you're fine. Everything came back normal. Um, And she came back and said, you have Lyme disease. And I was completely shocked. And I just had no idea even about this disease. I knew nothing about it. And as I researched more, found out that bullseye rash on my hand was an infected tick bite. And if the doctor would have known that and I would have known that, um, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you today. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so much in in talking to and researching Lyme disease, you hear so many stories of people who get diagnosed years and years later who never had a bite. Mm -hmm. And here you are, you had a bite and you went to the doctor. And then multiple doctors after that, and still were just dismissed time and time again. Um, that yeah. must have been incredibly frustrating. It was. And, I, you know, because it, so many years had passed, and I still have the picture of the bite because I had sent it to my mom of like, I have this weird bite on my hand, I'm going to the doctor. So once I realized, I actually went back through my phone to find it and staring at it, like having the exact date that I was bit. Um, but when you spend that long being told that nothing's wrong, you have such a relief just to have a name to your symptoms and that you're not crazy Mm -hmm. that I spent a lot of time in that place where I didn't, you know, I was just glad to have an answer, um, further down the journey now. And like, you know, through you met, met me through Instagram and kind of joining that chronic illness community online. 
and hearing other people's stories, it definitely, I have more of a fire in my gut of, of just, this is wrong and this shouldn't be such a common occurrence. Um, and what can I do to spread awareness? So there aren't more people like me who, if a doctor would have just been more educated right off the bat, maybe it would have only taken six weeks of antibiotics and I would have been better versus now, you know, I'm going on five years of symptoms and have tried multiple protocols without any success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think any, any chronic illness, especially one that that is sort of thought of as invisible. Although if you really Mm -hmm. um, open your eyes a little bit, you usually can see it. Um, I think there, there so many of the stories, myself included, it's years and years and years of symptoms and years and years of, of different doctors saying, Oh, it's in your head. Oh, you're just depressed. Oh, you just have a stomach ache. Oh, maybe you have too much stress Um, Mm -hmm. without really this more thorough understanding and actually trusting that we know our bodies pretty well and we know when something is wrong. Mm -hmm. I think that's so true. And I think, um, I I know for Lyme in particular, like it's such a sneaky disease too. Like so many of my symptoms, I wouldn't have connected them together. And you know, like this one thing started to happen and all of a sudden, you're years later, and you realize you have this plethora of symptoms that quietly just started to show up that have just completely shifted the way you live. Right. Um, and you kind of look back and like, how did I get here? And how did a, a doctor not help me along the way? I, I definitely, I definitely agree there. Yeah, and and while you were going through that, like you said, you had you know finished college, you had your first grown-up job, you were out in the world, and then to all of a sudden um, be sort of, it's almost like you ran into a brick wall and and life Mm -hmm. as you knew it and as you had planned for it really stopped and you had to find a new new journey and a new sort of idea of what your life was going to be. Could you share a little bit about how that, that process went for you both um, how you came to want to share your story, but then also how you just figured out how to carry on day after day. Yeah, absolutely. So once I was diagnosed with Lyme, um, November 2017, I was so excited. I thought I, I misunderstood the doctor, which was a very Lyme brain thing for me to do. I thought I was going to do a couple weeks of um, antibiotics and I was going to be golden. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited. Like, I've gotten so much done with Lyme. I can't wait to see how successful I am when I don't have these barriers. Um, and all my doctor told me was drink a lot of water. You're going to feel worse before you feel better. And at the time, my concern was, well, I have a, you know, a, a workout regimen. I try to work out four to five times a week. Like, am I still going to be able to do that? Like, that was my biggest concern, which is so funny looking back now, two years later when I haven't, I haven't worked out in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so I started treatment and it just knocked me down. It was like having the flu times a hundred. It was so, so horrible because when, when you start to treat Lyme, you have a lot of inflammation. It's called herxing. So all your symptoms get worse before they get better. So I was trying to work a full-time job. I'd actually just moved to a new city. I moved from Dallas, Texas to Houston for um, a big job. 
and I was working 60 plus hours a week. I had a lot of responsibilities. So I was trying to juggle this. And then also, you know, now in treatment and I was really, really struggling and um, all the treatments we were trying, I wasn't getting any better. I just continued to get worse and stress can be such a big factor. Uh, So I spent about a year trying to pretend like I wasn't as sick as I was. I Mm. didn't want to accept it. I didn't want people to see me as weak. Um, I didn't want to acknowledge that treatment wasn't working or that this, I couldn't continue to live the lifestyle or the life that I thought I was going to have. Um, and it, it got really dark and it got to a point where I wasn't performing at work. And I'm the type of person that does, I 110 at everything that I do, how I perform is really important to me. Um, and I was, you know, I was failing. I was failing at every aspect of life. And I was starting to have, you know, these bouts of anger where I would lash out. And it was like an out-of-body experience. I didn't even realize I was doing it till later when someone brought it up. And I'd look back and I was like, that that wasn't me. I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know what happened. Um, And you can only make an excuse like that so much because it still hurts people, right? so I, you know, I was kind of forced at this this point of like, I had tried so much treatment. I even had a, a period of time where I had a pick line in. I was doing daily infusions. I had an at-home nurse. I was coming to my house twice a day, still while trying to work full time and uh, nothing was working. My numbers just continued to go down and get worse. And I... I just kind of broke down and my doctor essentially told me like, you need to stop working. You can't continue to handle this. So in December of last year, reluctantly and and like it was very, very difficult for me. I raised my white flag and I quit my job and applied for long-term disability, moved, essentially sold all my furniture, moved back in with my mom and Um, started looking for new treatments and realized I had to put my health first because I I kept going down this direction. I was never going to get better and I needed to take a break and let my body heal and kind of figure out a new path because what I was doing wasn't working. Mm. So I finally accepted that I was sick. Um, And those first, you know, two to three months of me moving home, I was bedridden. I was in bed 98% of the time. I think I had been living off adrenaline for so long um, that when I finally stopped, my body just crashed. I was sleeping 20 hours a day. I couldn't eat unless my mom made me something and brought it to me. Uh, My body literally told me, it told me I did the right thing. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how much longer I could have gone. But, you know, I it it took a lot for me to accept to even get to that point. But when you're chronically ill and then you have to let go of your life, essentially, that's extremely lonely. It's extremely isolating. And so much chronic illness is inner tweet, like inner, I'm sorry, I'm having my brain right now, like (laughs) interweave. That's what I'm talking for with mental health. Yes. So 
anxiety and depression are amplified when you're in the situation where now I don't feel like I have a purpose in every day. I'm not fulfilling anything. I'm just laying in bed. And I kept trying to tell myself, well, you are being productive because right now productive for you is letting your body rest. Mm. Um, but there was only so much of that I could do because I was watching everybody else around me continue their lives and be more successful in their careers. And I was laying in bed. Um, so that's, you know, I think it was in February of this year, I decided I'm going to start a blog and try to meet other chronic illness people and find a community so that I don't feel so alone. And I think that was probably the best thing I have ever done in my life for myself and for my healing. Absolutely. I, I resonate with so much of your journey because I, um, I am also someone who has always been a high performer um, at work. Mm -hmm. I really prided myself on being really great at my job, putting in extra hours, always pushing through. And I had never really felt well ever in my life, but I just, I just always thought, okay, then this is just like my normal. And I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And then I got to a similar place that you got to where I was no longer able to function at the level that I had been functioning. And that was terrifying because it Mm -hmm. felt like I was losing my identity. And I didn't, I didn't know what was the cause. Um, For a few year period, I uh, was working with a naturopath who suspected Lyme, although the test was negative. And so I was going through a treatment protocol, getting worse and worse and worse. Um, And then just um, this past March, I was diagnosed with a, a genetic condition um, so I'm not sure. I still don't know definitively yes or no with Lyme, but I know I have this other um, chronic illness, and it was really hard to be able to be able to be honest with myself and say mm-hmm. I can't keep up anymore, and to yeah. say it out loud, and it it really is incredibly isolating if you're going through something like this. I don't think people really understand just um the the emotional toll that it can take on you um because you have to go through this mourning process of letting go of yeah. the life you thought you were going to live yes i agree so much and i like i say all the time i've learned empathy at a level i never even knew i could from mm-hmm. going through this because when you get this sick there is no place for ego. There is, you know, you, it, it's just, you realize like how much people can struggle that you don't even see. Right. And you become more open, open to seeing that when you're isolated and you have the time to think about it. Um, and I, yeah, I, I just connected that so much with the overachiever and then you you just can't even do that anymore and then you're like well then who am I right if I can't if if that's not who I am and um figuring out a way to accept that and see a new path forward that takes a lot of time and it takes you know a lot of courage I think too and I think it's been amazing you know seeing so many people online who are in similar situations and like Chronic illness can also be a blessing in disguise if you can, 
you know, learn to accept and like take this time to figure out how to heal and find a purpose in life more than maybe you would have if you didn't get sick. Right. And I, and I try to stay, I try to stay in that mindset of the life I was living before I got sick and I wanted, I was doing it more because I thought it's what I was supposed to do. than I actually wanted it and getting sick gave me the space away from it to realize I don't want to waste my life. I only have so much energy. I only have so much time. I want to put it towards things that I actually care about. And it's shifted what I want out of life. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely has a way of, of really shifting priorities like overnight, because all of a sudden, like you said, when you are, you went from working, you know, 60 plus hours a week and now you're in bed, but that is your Mm full-time job healing. Um, whether you are able, if you're still working or not working, regardless, that takes a lot of energy and it really does change how you look at the entire world. Because if you know that you have like a two hour period every day where you're actually functioning, how you spend those two hours are very different than probably how Mm -hmm. you were spending them before you got sick. Yes, absolutely. Priorities Um, shift so much. Yeah. And um, I think the community is also really critical in chronic illness um, because it is really isolating. And to most people, um, it appears as if nothing is wrong with you. And yes. so, so many of the stories of people that I have talked to have said that repeatedly people told them that there was nothing wrong with them or tests kept coming back negative or misdirection. And so it, it becomes it feels like you don't know what's real anymore and you can't trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes. Finding people, even if they aren't struggling with the same illness as you, just understanding what it is day in and day out, um, I think is one of the most healing things you can do is find those people, even if you find them on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree so much. I know for me personally, and and my struggle, I'd mentioned earlier that I, um, when I stopped working, I applied for a long-term disability and, um, I was going to, um, different doctors that were requested by the company to like get certain tests. And they kept saying that I was psychosomatic mm-hmm. and the report would come back and say I was psychosomatic. And when you are and to the point where you have just spent three months not getting out of bed, hearing that is, and, and you put your life on hold, that is so crushing. Yes. It is so, so upsetting. And being able to reach out to the chronic illness community and like share that and then have people say, that happened to me too. You're not crazy. You're not psychosomatic. Like, I believe you. That makes such a difference in your fight because you so easily start to second guess yourself. I'm like, do I even feel sick? Am I making this up in my head? Like Mm -hmm. you start to question yourself because everybody else is questioning you. And like you so quickly can forget, like I just spent five days in bed. I couldn't get out of bed. That was real. Right. Like you didn't want to be there. Um, so yeah, I, I just, again, that, that support system makes such a difference because also, it it can be very, very hard for even friends and family to fully understand unless mm-hmm. you've been in this situation and can feel it. It's really, really hard to grasp. 
Absolutely. And, and I think something that I have struggled with in my own journey is, is feeling with close friends and family, like I'm not the person that they knew. Um, Mm -hmm. So how do I have a relationship with these people when I can't be the person I used to be? And also trying really hard not to be a burden, but also acknowledging that I need support and I need help and sort of getting okay with that. That is a lot to deal with um, Mm -hmm. when your friends and family have seen you you know, exist in one version of yourself and now they're seeing something different, um, that, that can be an added layer of stress and pressure. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It was so difficult for me. I was extremely independent, like started working at 14 years old, um, liked to provide for my family when I could, was kind of the breadwinner. My dad passed away. You know, I mentioned earlier, I'm 2014 and uh, it was important for me to, you know, make money so that I could help my sisters in any way I could. And now I was the one that was at home and needed help. And after that was really, really hard. Even just, you know, asking my mom to make me food. Like it took a lot for me to get to a place where I could even ask for help. Right that felt really, really hard for me. And, um, even now I, you know, I, I will do things that I maybe shouldn't, that I could ask someone else to help for because I don't want to be a burden to the people around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel you on that one because, and we also, live in a culture of pushing and pushing and pushing and suffering becomes normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anything that goes up against that, it feels it, you can be looked at as you're a failure or you're lazy um, or you're just overly dramatic when none of those things are true. They couldn't be less true. Um, but it's right. hard when those are the messages that are being reinforced around you. Plus the majority of the medical community is telling you this is all in your head. Yeah. Uh, so true. Yes. Um, so on, in those moments where you, you know, you were sleeping the majority of the day, you were struggling just to get by every day. How did you work on keeping yourself emotionally well, having a positive mindset um, while also just not trying to be like overly positive and like glossing over? I think that Sometimes it goes a little too far where we think we can just like slap an affirmation on it and we'll be healed. Um, and it's, it's being both honest in the struggles, but also trying to be hopeful um, because without having that hope, it's really hard to carry on every day. Yeah, absolutely. I think so mindfulness is really important to me and I've always been big into meditating. Hmm. So I definitely leaned into that a lot of trying to continually tell myself positive affirmations when I started to get into a negative spin and go down a rabbit hole. Um, and I'm also a big proponent of therapy. I would mm-hmm. have um, a counseling session. I would call my therapist once a week. And that was really good because that was an outlet to at least get things out of my head. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I also did a lot of writing, so I have like, like 
so many sheets of me just writing over and over again. I am grateful. I will be healed. Like all of these things, I kept just trying to repeat that constantly and kind of take it till you make it a bit. And also let myself sit in the sorrow and, you know, have a bit of a pity party for a little while because mm-hmm. I, I knew I needed to move through it. It took me so long to even accept that I was sick. I needed to deal with all of that trauma and build up that I was avoiding for so many years um, and what that did to relationships as well. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think, you know, it's a really long process and figuring out how to let yourself sit in it and feel it and move through it, but not spend too much time. Um, it's all definitely a balancing act. And I would, you know, if I was going to spend that time, like letting myself feel, I would then try to take some time to meditate and, you know, do those positive affirmations to kind of lighten my heart a little bit um, and get my mind out of that headspace. Yeah, I think that having that kind of balanced approach is really important because there is a lot of power in being able to sit in the sorrow because mm-hmm. it can you can feel very powerless um, when you are living with a chronic illness. And so even just being able to acknowledge to yourself is usually the hardest part. And once you can do it yeah. to yourself, doing it to others, um, there's a lot of freedom that comes in that, even if it's not pretty and it's stressful and it's overwhelming. Um, but I felt so much lighter emotionally when I was able to say to myself that I am very sick. And I didn't mm-hmm. want to say that for a long time because I thought if I admitted that, then I was giving power to it. And I didn't yeah. want, I just didn't want to be the sick girl. Um, yeah. But you can be sick and still be hopeful for the future. Those things can coexist. Um, they're not always in perfect balance, but um, there's, for me, that's how I took some of my power back. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, for anyone who's listening to this and they're like in that, the real sick of it right now, I remember thinking like, this is me right now, but I have to do this to get to the future. So it's okay to be hopeful and excited and dream about what it looks like outside of it. and. If you're so overwhelmed with the right now, like you have to accept where you're at, but you can also, if that means you get to build whatever future you want ahead of you. For a lot of us, like this is rock bottom, you know? Right. Like I, I realized like, wow, I'm doing it. This is my biggest fear and I'm having to live it out. So what, like once I'm better, I can conquer anything I want. I shouldn't be afraid to try anything because. I've already seen what my darkness looks like Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna, you know, work my way out of it. I'm going to climb back out of it. And I feel really grateful right now that I can say that I can. I started working again um, full time about a month ago. Um, And I know that that's a rare thing for a lot of us with chronic illness to be able to say, like taking that much time off. So many people reach out to me, like it's been three or five years and I'm so scared to go back to work. Um, and I contribute a lot of like actually taking that time to sit in that sorrow and heal myself and focus on myself to getting me to where I am right now. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of healing that happens in the truth. And yeah. And my experience with chronic illness is that every day the truth is different. And being able to ride that wave is really important because I think sometimes you feel like either you have to fake it or yep. you are afraid if you're having a good day and you you know, seem like your old self again to other people, then they're going to forget that you're still sick. Um, so you feel yes. like maybe, so you, sometimes you feel like you can't celebrate the good days because you don't want people to think that it's all, oh, good, you're great, you're better now. Um, and that being able to just every day go with whatever day you're having and really savor and celebrate those moments where you feel whole and better and energized and can get out of bed, but also be tender and nourishing and nurturing to yourself on mm -hmm. the days where you can't get out of bed and you have to call in sick and you have to cancel plans again and know that it's all part of the process and you can't fight it. So you might as well write it. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so true. Um, something that me and my therapist used to talk about a lot was you have to use your own measuring stick. Mm. You can't use other people's. And your measuring stick is going to look different every day. So stop trying to measure what you can do or what your worth is or your value based on everybody else's or even what you did yesterday. Because what you did yesterday can you know, take away from what you're able to do today. Right. So I, I think that's so true. I really love that. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think comparison just in general is pretty toxic, but um, mm -hmm. when you're already dealing with a lot of toxins or other chronic illness, um, I think comparing yourself both to a healthier version of yourself, a sicker version of yourself, um, healthier mm -hmm. people and sicker people, I think yeah. it's just really common. I mean, I love so many things about connecting with the chronic illness community. The one thing um, that I don't love so much is that it can be very easy to compare and be like, well, I'm sicker than you, um, or I'm struggling more than you are and trying to measure yourself. Um, again, yeah. we're all just trying to find our own power. And, and so I get it. Um, but as much as possible, really, that's where the meditation and mindfulness, um, that I love is, is part of your routine is so important. Because mm -hmm. every day is going to be different on this journey. Yeah. And I, I agree with you completely about that. You know, there can be too much of a good thing, right? And there's mm -hmm. always like a balance between the two. And I love the chronic illness community, but that's definitely something that like, you can easily get your head into where you're like, oh, I, you know, now I feel guilty because I'm not as sick as this person. Right. So do I even have the right to share my story? Or I'm sicker than this person whatever it is. And I think realizing that everything is relative mm -hmm. and that's okay. Your story is your story and it's affecting your life. And staying there is really, really important. But when you start to compare against anyone, um, and I think you can get really dangerous when you're doing it against other people who are sick because that can keep you in a bad um, spin in your head in a bad cycle. Right. Um, you know, that you have to be very careful not to do that. What has been the experience for you of publicly sharing your story? How, you know, what lessons have you learned from that and how has that helped you on your process? 
um, I, it, it, it's been wonderful. I, um, have always struggled with vulnerability and, you know, I would tell people, you know, I'm sick, but I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh yeah, I have Lyme, but like, it's a, like, it's not a big deal Yeah. and try to like mask it very quickly. Um, and almost make them feel better about it. So they, you know, they don't have to have an emotion around mm-hmm. it. Um, and sharing my story and being vulnerable really opened up conversations with friends and family to better understand who I am. And then um, it also just like helped me accept where I am so much as well. Um, and and also just realizing like how many people are out there. Like I'm not alone. Sharing my story really, really gave me that. And this new sense of patient advocacy has become really, really important to me. My new job that I started is very much in the world of patient advocacy, which, you know, it's, it has brought a purpose to my life that I haven't had before that I'm so grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has opened my heart to people in a way that I was so closed off to beforehand. Um, I like to be seen as strong, um, non-emotional, always have my stuff together. And now I feel more human. Mm-hmm. I feel um, I share who I am um, as, as a whole versus who I want someone to see when I first meet them. I'm not afraid, you know, to say that I have chronic illness. That's a, a big part of who I am and it will affect how I interact. So um, where I would have hidden away from that before, now it's something that I, I do share. Um, and it's allowed me to love myself and accept myself more, which I, you know, is crazy that this sickness, the sickness has really given me so much, even in all of the, the pain and the heartache that it also brings. Yeah. I think it, I think it can be very powerful to find, um, find the positive, even in a really challenging situation that oftentimes feels really unfair, um, Mm -hmm. that being able to see how you can use this experience to grow and even if it's just to better understand how actually incredibly strong you are because you are surviving Mm -hmm. this every day, um, if that's the only positive thing that comes out of it, that can be enough. Absolutely. We are all we have at the end of the day. And I think another really big thing I learned from going from working 60 hours a week to being in bed, you know, 20 hours a week more or or 20 hours a day or more um, was that you've got to like yourself. Mm -hmm. You've got to like spending time with yourself. And that self-love is such a big part of the healing journey. and it's really easy to avoid when you can stay busy. Yes. It's very hard to avoid when you're sick and there isn't anything else to, you don't have anything to hide back from that. Right. Um, so yeah. that's when I think um, you really have to be able be willing to peel back the layers because mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're sick, it can be really hard to love yourself and love the body that you're in because you can feel like yeah. you're at war with it. And so I, 
I love that you shared that therapy was helpful for you. For me, I'm going to therapy on a regular basis has been one of the most healing things I've done for my chronic illness, um, aside mm. from any, any physical treatment, because that space to process uh, is really yeah. important and the space for me to learn to accept my reality and love myself in spite of um, everything I'm going through. Has, it's really the most important thing I think I'm doing on my healing journey currently. I, I agree completely. And so as you are working on trying to share your story, um, how do you see this sort of changing the narrative on chronic illness with all, you know, people being so willing now to actually share the struggles um, and bring more light to what life with chronic illness really is like? You know, my hope is that this gives more acceptance and understanding to those who are chronically ill for those who um, are able and, and don't struggle. Just, I think right now we're very hidden in the shadows. And mm. It's like, oh, you're sick. And so you go in that corner. Um, and I think as we all continue to share, it's, there's more acceptance of it, um, which will then hopefully of us with chronic illness, even in the medical community, I know for me, finding, getting acceptance for Lyme, um, even mold illness is really, really important in the medical community because mm -hmm. right now it, it doesn't have acceptance. It's not seen as a real, you know, as a real disease. So the more of us that share and show our stories, the more hopefully support that we get. Um, and 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 then we can do something about so many people who have chronic illness. I mean, it's just, there's more people today with chronic illness and it's just going to continue to grow, unfortunately. And I don't feel like we're talking about it enough as a society. Um, and I think it's wonderful, those who have the energy and the time um, who are sharing their stories because no one's going to help us if we don't help ourselves right. and if we don't share that that this is an issue. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And that's a huge motivator for me, who is a pretty introverted, shy person for creating this public mm -hmm. conversation around it, because I struggled for, you know, 30 plus years in silence. Wow. Um, yeah. And so being able to have these conversations and bring these issues to light is so important to me. One, it makes me know that I am not alone. So it mm -hmm. helps um, but also, um, like you, I am committed to bringing public attention to chronic illness, both to validate our own experiences, but also to start changing the medical system and changing people's yeah. minds about what chronic illness is. So I am really grateful that you took the time out um, and that you are also feeling well enough to have this conversation with me because I think it's really important and I am so grateful for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you chatting with me. This was so wonderful. Yeah, thank you.
Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Rethinking It. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe, if you wouldn't mind rating it or leaving a short review. It's the number one way that other people can find the podcast. So if you're finding value in it, along with sharing it with your friends and family, strangers in line at the grocery store, um, it would be really great if you could subscribe to the podcast and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. 